the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real man. Look at his ass. Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 217 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.09 a.m. on October 25th, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Will Mavity. Hello, hello, hello. Kaya Shinyata. Good morning. Dan Baer. Good morning. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, everyone. So after last week, we talked about a lot of trailers. Well, guess what? We have more trailers to talk about this week. A lot of them are films that will be discussed in the upcoming award season. And we also are going to be talking a bit about horror movies this week because Halloween is this upcoming Saturday. So time to get excited about that. Uh, we also have an election coming up in a week. So that's also very, very exciting. We hope everyone can head on over to the polls and vote for that. Uh, but before we talk about what's going on in Hollywood with award season, everything else that you know we always like to talk about every week here on the Next Best Picture podcast, let's first start off with what people have been watching at home. Why don't we first start off with Kaya? So earlier this week, I went and saw Captain America the Winter Soldier at the drive-in. Get out of here. They had that yeah. plane? That's yeah. awesome. They did. It was lovely. It was very nice. Fun. And, yeah. And then um, I watched Final Destination 3 for the third time this month. Don't ask me why. <laughs> and I also watched Bad Hair, which check out my review on the site and you'll know how I feel. Yeah, I saw that back at Sundance and that was like one of the most buzzed about movies because Justin Simeon was coming off of uh, Dear White People. Mm -hmm. So this movie was red hot mm -hmm. and it was one of those things where the anticipation was so high for it. And then everyone, I saw the movie and yeah, there was definitely a split reaction uh, coming out of that screening from a lot of people. Some people thought it was very deep and some people thought it wasn't deep enough. And mm -hmm. other people thought that it got its messaging completely wrong. Yep. Uh, it was definitely a mixture of responses to say the least. Mm -hmm. So I, I read your review. I see where you fall on that. I'll be very curious <laughs> to see where everyone else does when they check it out on Hulu. All right, let's hear from Josh Parham. Uh, so I did manage to catch up with a good number of films throughout the week. Um, I did eventually see the documentary MLK FBI. Oh, nice. And I liked it. I, I think it's one of those things where it's really well put together, but the information that it provides, I don't really find to be that revolutionary. It, and yeah. they kind of sell it as like, you know, what's going behind the scenes and the secret files and I don't know. I feel like this is what we've already kind of known about the FBI spying on like Martin Luther King, but it's very well put together. I think that's the thing. They kind of assemble archival footage really well. And that I would say is the element that makes it really good. I was having like this weird reaction to it while watching it because I couldn't figure out where the film's 
uh, stance actually lied in regards to um, <laughs> the spying and what they were discovering about Martin Luther King. But then, like, by the end of the movie, the big takeaway that I got from it was we're all human and we all make mistakes. Even someone that we look up to is almost God and saint like, like Martin Luther King. He's completely uh, revered all throughout, you know, history. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's a very, very important message to send. But for the life of me while watching it, I was like, is this a takedown of Martin Luther King? Like, what am I watching right now? <laughs> it is very strange tonally. And it was weird for me, too, because it's all archival footage. There is no context for the talking heads, who they are, what they do. Oh, wow. And I found that really difficult to like, why did am they, I listening to this person at this moment, you know? Did they get into the theory that the FBI was the one who killed him? No. Because I, I know that's uh, – I, I know that – I know his family um, always thought that was the case. And there's a lot of people who think they were behind his assassination since they literally tried to get him to kill himself personally. Yeah, they don't get into, like – of uh, them being behind the assassination. They do talk about like the letter that was sent to him to get him to kill himself and obviously investigating his infidelities. But again, that's all pretty much known. And so I don't think the documentary is really saying anything new, but it's still an interesting watch. I would still recommend it to people. Uh, But after that, I also got to catch up with another movie I've been searching for for a while, which was Martin Eden. <laughs> Not Martin Eden, Martin Eden. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, it's okay. It's not bad. It's not that great either. I wasn't really a huge fan of it. I do think that like the last 20 minutes or so just sort of spiral out of control, <laughs> I have to say. But um, it, it's all right. I think the thing that I liked, that I liked about it the most was the cinematography. I think that should actually be in the conversation. It's really beautiful looking and so amazing that they were able to like capture this very old aesthetic that felt so natural to the time. It's a really weird process that they do that I think is just really brilliant. I I would love for that to get some attention throughout the year. Unlike, you know, say Mank, which was shot digitally and made to look like it was shot in the 1940s, Martin Eden really looks like it was shot in the early 1970s, late 60s. It, it's uncanny. Yeah, like they blend it with actual like footage, I believe, shot from that time. And it looks indistinguishable at moments. It's kind of incredible. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, another movie that I checked out, which this will make Dan very happy. I saw Shiva Baby. Yay! Yay! <laughs> And it's very good. I don't know if I loved it quite as much as you did, but I did enjoy myself a lot. It's so funny. It's got great performances in it. It's a really good movie. I don't know if I loved it, but I enjoyed myself thoroughly while watching it, for sure. I I like to think of it as uh, the comedy version of Mother at times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's so damn stressful. It is so (laughs) stressful. But it's one of the funniest scripts of the year, I think. Oh, oh yeah. It's, It's very good. I enjoyed it. Um, and then these last two movies I will talk about because they are at opposite ends of quality for me. I'll start with the bad one. Uh, the first one is The Witches. Oh, God. And oh God. <laughs> this is probably the worst film I have seen so far this year. Wow. And granted, there's some big ones that I haven't seen that are that are also terrible. But this one just from the moment I heard Chris Rock narrating it, it just never was a good fit. And 
it's not just that the CGI is terrible and it's not just that most of these performances aren't good. And it's just not that the script is pretty hollow. The whole tone of it just never really felt right to me. And it wasn't entertaining, not even on like a so bad it's good level. It was just sort of bland and mostly uninteresting and kind of incompetent in some places. I did not like this movie at all. I thought it was pretty terrible. Now, where does it rank for you with Doolittle? Because we were on that podcast together, and we I think you and I, Josh, have maintained since that time of the year that that's one of the worst movies that we've seen this year. Oh, it was so bad. Yeah, Doolittle is bad. Um, I think The Witches is worse. Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> well, it's got to be really bad. Back, I actually went back and listened a little bit to our Doolittle review, and I think with that movie, it's terrible, but it was just in a mostly like bland way. Whereas this one is making decisions that like are actively some of the worst that I have seen this year. I think The Witches is worse than Doolittle, yes. <laughs> How's the makeup? Eh, it's, it's fine. Like, nothing extraordinary. Um, the visual effects are far worse. Like, the, the CGI in it, it looks disgusting. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> awful. It's it's a really bad, look, badly looking film, too. It's... I would not recommend it. It's a really, really terrible, terrible film. I'm going to have to watch it just for the curiosity now. Uh, I know. I'm like, I'm so ghoulishly curious now. Yeah. I mean, look, if it was so bad, it was good. I would tell you it was so bad. It was good. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And the last thing that I do want to mention, though, because I love this movie so much, is I finally saw The Father. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, and oh, this movie, God. I expected to like it. I did not expect to love it as much as I did. I think that this is an incredible achievement. And obviously, yeah. Anthony Hopkins is great. Olivia Coleman is excellent. You know, those are elements that we expected. This is such a well-directed film. It, yep. Like, I am amazed that, especially for a debut directorial feature, like this playwright. movie. <laughs> yeah. It is so confident in like visual storytelling that it's sort of amazing that he was able to communicate that so well. And I think it's an, an incredible achievement. And by the end, I was crying buckets. And it's if you have an opportunity to see it at some point, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is truly one of my favorite films of the year. This is why I have him in my top five for director right now. Didn't he direct extensively on the stage as well as write? No, he didn't direct the um, the production of this. So, oh no. Okay, because it, it taps in. It, I don't know. It, it taps into like a, a long running theory that the best directors need to be directing theater first is kind of a training ground. Because if you look at uh, obviously going back to like Orson Welles, but even more recently Sam Mendes, Ang Lee, uh, Danny Boyle, a lot of people with really distinctive visual styles started out in theater and. I, I think it's just they really understand the importance of blocking and staging and are able to make things come to life. But if Zeller didn't direct anything on stage, that kind of pokes I mean, holes. I, in the- I, I just looked it up and he has directed, apparently. Mm. He, he has been most praised for his writing. Gotcha. Um, not for oh, his Close writing. enough. Yeah. Now, Josh, I, w- I want to ask you the question that I think everyone is asking themselves whenever they watch The Father. Is Anthony Hopkins unbeatable? Well, 
Well, there's some information we got during the week that will probably. Uh, oh yeah, we're going to talk about that. that question. But <laughs> uh, I, I really do feel like he is in a very strong position as the number one right now. I think you watch that performance and it kind of has everything going for it that would normally be an Oscar winning performance. So I, I don't know if I will go to, as far as to say like unbeatable, but he is in a very, very strong number one position, I would say. Okay. Uh, Matt, I think ultimately something that, I mean, might be an issue is with this, uh, we, I mean, COVID's changed everything and will change how people campaign. But I mean, he he will adamantly refuse to campaign. And if that does, if it does become a close race and you have uh, a great narrative for the person we're going to be talking about later, and that performance turns out also to be undeniable, um, I think the fact that Anthony is going to sit back and let his performance speak for himself might be what keeps him from winning and that's the only reason i'm gonna say i don't think he's unbeatable but will how- but will he's selling perfume cat too you know and he's got these suits narrations he's like mrs niffler goes you know and is eating her kitty litter to- she wouldn't eat her kitty litter. <laughs> but you get the point yeah totally uh will why don't we actually uh, move over to you uh what have you been watching this week uh i had a pretty big haul so sound of metal which i thought was great um riz i, I mean I, I it's definitely my favorite performance of his and uh, i thought paul rachi was incredibly moving and i wish he were in the supporting a- or in the supporting actor conversation um, the sound is crazy in that movie, especially yep. the third act. Like when people said the sound was good, I was like, oh yeah, it involved music and music and percussions. But it's, I mean, especially nope. what it does with his perspective in the third act is like, mm. I saw Wolfwalkers, which I, I thought was, I def, I thought it was beautiful and I liked it. I don't think I, it was as life changing to me as it was to some, but I get that. It's an excellent animated film, and... It'll make a worthy nominee this year. Yeah, and I hope the score and the songs are in the hunt. Well, you know, the songs are interesting. I think this. I think one of the songs uh, could probably squeak in there. I, I, I think, at least. I hope so. Yeah, the songs The songs are gorgeous. I, there's, I don't remember what one's called, but there's one I thought that was like... Ugh. Was it the one when she first turns into the wolf, and she's like running through the field with yeah, her? running with the wolves. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. I didn't like that one as much as um, it's funny when I think about the songs. I remember the lyrics of that one more because it's just really straightforward. Like I'm running with the wolves. It sounds just <laughs> like that. But there's another song I liked more. Uh, okay. and I saw in- Invisible Man uh, finally, and oh my god! Wait, whoa, yeah. whoa, wait a you hadn't up, seen Will it? <laughs> no, I, hadn't, I I don't know. I mean, I didn't get a chance to see it when it was in theaters before COVID, and then initially I was going to have to pay like twenty bucks to see it, and I didn't want to do that. So um, I just I realized I could see it for like two ninety nine now. Um, and I, you know, I thought Moss was very good. I thought it, I thought it's a really interesting spin on that story. And, 
Uh, it was definitely better than it had any right to be as a film. I would love it Agreed. to be a surprise VFX nominee. I think that's possible, too. Yeah, they only had like a $7 million budget, man, for uh, for what they were able to do with that. And also, you know, Ampus can't resist Invisible Man films in that category. I think Andrew Carden pointed out that the only Invisible Man movie not to get nominated was Memoirs of Invisible Man. There's like nine different Invisible Man movies that have been nominated over the years. So the branch think that's cool. I think it's also a stealth sound contender, if you ask me. Well, Clayton Davis has it in his top five. So, um, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to end up getting nominated now that we only have so many things competing in one category. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's in the top 15 for sure. Um, Dick Johnson is dead. Incredibly sad. We all Did you cry about it? No, but it's very emotional. <clears throat> it's very emotional. It's funny. My voice cracked as I said that. Do you think that, um, uh, Kirsten Johnson is, uh, walking away with the trophy this year? Trophy. Jesus Christ. The Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be interesting because I, I, I think that's, it's a really moving film and that sometimes is enough. But I think it's entirely possible that there's going to be documentaries that might feel more, quote unquote, important. I feel that. Come into play and might win instead. So, But I, I think she's definitely in the hunt. And then, uh, like Josh, I saw The Father, which was incredible. Um, Hopkins and Coleman are extremely good. The blocking's amazing. The production design's really inventive. It, it genuinely, it freaked me out. Like it, it, it really gets under your skin and makes you start feeling anxious. It's, it's not, you know, it's not just a sad drama. It's almost a horror film. And I really liked that. I saw Minari, which is beautiful. Nice. And, um, obviously I hope Stephen Young is, uh, is a contender, but I also, her name's slipping me now, but the grandma in that movie I thought was incredible. Oh, she's um, so good. And I, I really hope she factors into the race this year in some capacity because uh, that's – and I, I think she might if the film's big just because it's a showier performance than you expect in the second half. And then On the Rocks. Oh, you saw On the Rocks too. Nice. What a week. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was I was gonna say uh, it was well. You had all the you had AFI and a couple other fests. Uh, so on the rocks, yeah, I, I I liked. I it was definitely lighter than some of her other stuff. Yeah, very was, scaled back, right? Yeah, it, I think I wanted a little bit more. I mean, there's definitely some interesting subtext going on there, and it. Um, I was glad that it eventually takes a chance it allows itself to reveal that bill murray's character is kind of a dick instead of just you know it, it i thought the reason i think he might get nominated aside from that category rapidly clearing up is it kind of takes a lot of his charming murrayisms and tips them on their head by the end and kind of forces you to look at like oh maybe this isn't such a positive thing and he does have an Oscar scene. I mean, I, I don't. I certainly don't think a scene sufficient to win, 
but I thought it was just going to be a goofy supporting Murray performance. And he's got his crying scene. So, you know, yep. stranger things have happened. I could see him getting nominated and I guess maybe winning because I don't know a clear front runner in that category, but uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I totally echo what you're saying about uh, Bill Murray. I don't think that that film is going anywhere outside of him. And considering what we're seeing right now in that category, unless if there are surprise contenders that all of a sudden start populating it, I think that he can very easily get in right now, the way things currently stand. Totally. All right. Uh, let's hear from Dan Baer. Okay, so I have been mostly stuck in Newfest land uh, for this week, uh, which is, is the New York City LGBTQ Film Festival, and it's mostly been good stuff. And also some not so great stuff. Um, I saw, <laughs> I saw Cicada, which uh, yikes, mm. um, <laughs> did not like that one very much at all. I also saw a foreign film called If It Were Love, which is uh, kind of a, it's like the documentary version of Climax, but with no drugs, and huh. it was. Um, it was okay. The um the dancing the scenes where they are actually filming the dance piece that is the subject of it are great, and everything else is uh, um not so great. Um, there was a really um there was a movie that I liked a lot called Cowboys with Steve Zahn and Jillian Bell, at which like a plus casting of Steve Zahn, <laughs> very very he he is a tricky actor to cast right. But when you do, it pays off dividends. And this is his best role in a long time. Wow. And he plays the father of a a trans kid um, who uh, kidnaps him, kind of. I'm sorry. The trans kid kidnaps his father? (laughs) No, his father kidnaps him. Oh, okay. Kind of. Kind of. they kind of agree to go away together, leave um, the kid's mom um, because the mom isn't so understanding of, but, but it, it turns into something a little deeper and a little more interesting than that. Um, Say no more. I'm in, I want to see this. It's, it's really well done. It's a really nice movie. It, um, it reminded me in some ways of good Joe bell from TIFF. Oh, well now you just turned everybody off to this. Well, movie. I know, I know. And I'm saying that, but like, this is <laughs> in many ways, this is done a lot better than that movie. Okay. It's like the better version of that. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw Shiva Baby for the second time, and yeah, I love that movie. Uh, I also saw another movie with uh, Rachel Sennett, who is the star of Shiva Baby, called Tahara, which is I really enjoyed um, as someone who uh, is grew up Jewish and in uh, Jewish religious school and all this stuff because that's where it takes place. Um, Rachel Sunnut is really into LGBTQ films this year that take place in mostly one location. Um, it's kind of amazing. Uh, debut film, really, really strong. Um, if you get a chance to see it, I recommend it. It's really funny. It takes some creative risks with the filmmaking that I really appreciated. I saw what's it, Aton Fox's new film, Sublet which um, love John Benjamin Hickey always, uh, but 
<laughs> Hello, Niv Nassim. <laughs> yep. Uh, oh my God. Hello, sir. Yeah, I uh, agree with you, Dan. <laughs> I can. I want him in everything now, please. Um, and it's a very sweet movie. And last night I saw uh, Minion, which is also really good. A little too long. I wasn't sure about the ending, but um, I really liked it. If you're Jewish, you may get a lot less out of it. Um, a lot of Jewish LGBTQ films this year, just saying. Um, and I saw a documentary called Truman in Tennessee, an intimate conversation, which was really interesting in terms of how they put it together. Um, they took interviews and writings from Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams and sort of put them together to talk about their relationship and the life of writers in like the mid-century that was... It, it didn't actually offer anything new, uh, kind of like MLK FBI that Josh was talking about earlier, but it was put together really well. And they got Jim Parsons to read the Truman Capote letters and Zachary Quinto to read the Tennessee Williams letters, which was, you know, that was that's a feat a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I also saw Rebecca. Uh, you can hear my full thoughts on that on the uh, podcast review, but I was surprised by how much I liked it. And last night I watched the new Borat movie, which um, I really loved Borat. The first one when it came out, I thought it was hysterical. This one, I think by its very nature, it is not as funny. There, There is something that feels a lot more expected about it. And it was clear that it was not as it felt a lot more scripted. Yeah. Than than the than the first one. And I I will admit I laughed a lot at because it's the same kind of like kind of dumb humor, but it funny is funny. And you just go, oh my God, hey, they really went there. Okay, wow. And, but yeah, I, I don't think it's either as funny or as scandalous as it thinks it is, but I, I didn't hate it. I I actually liked it a bit, but it's not, it's a very different movie than what I was expecting. Okay. And to cap things off here for myself, um, I too saw Borat, a subsequent movie film, and I enjoyed it pretty 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 uh, yeah yeah not as much as the first one uh but i i did get a couple laughs out of it i did think that when it was outrageous it really was outrageous <laughs> i think there's something to be said for the fact that i saw it before the rudy giuliani stuff like broke on the internet so that was a complete surprise to me and it was so shocking that like it was one of the few moments this year where i watched the movie and wished i could have seen it in a theater uh, because I think that that moment would have played so, so well to a shocked uh, audience. Whereas I think everybody now heading into this weekend knew about it already because it was it was spoiled by uh, pretty much everyone online. I mean, I don't think that yeah. it had the same impact as a result. So for me, I think I enjoyed the movie a lot more. I was surprised by how progressive it was and how much also... Um, uh, what's her name? Maria uh, Bakalova. Uh, she is oh like the star of the movie and she kind of steals it's it from hysterical. Sasha, actually. Yeah. 
And so I, I want I want more for her uh, because I think this is such a great breakout performance. And I just oh, yeah, kind of can't wait to see what else she can do outside of this. Uh, I rewatched Rebecca for our podcast review. And, uh, you know, there's I think there's a pretty good discussion about that there. Um, I saw some movies that I can't talk about yet. And I also caught up with Love and Monsters, uh, which I was a little late on that one, but I really enjoyed that a lot, actually. It was vibrant, it was colorful, it was light, good entertainment. It knew exactly what it was, and it played to that, and some of the creature effects were awesome. I really, really enjoyed uh, that film uh, uh, quite a bit, actually, and that one really surprised me. And that's really all I got for this week, because, once again... Can't really talk about the stuff that I want to talk about. I know. (laughs) Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. So now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have some trailers to talk about. There's going to be a lot of discussion uh, revolving around these trailers. The first one up here is from Netflix. It is called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. This movie is starring... Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman. It is a big Oscar contender coming from George C. Wolfe, who is directing the movie. It is going to be released by Netflix on December 18th, based on a play of the same name by August Wilson. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. A one, a two, a you know what to do. This would be an empty world without the blues. I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with salt. But they want to call me Mother Blues. That's all right with me. It don't hurt none. <laughs> Where's the, uh, the horn player? I got a friend. Come on, Levy. You rehearse like everybody else. I'm going to get me a band and make me some records. I know how to play real music, not this jug band shit. You call that playing music? I know what I'm doing. Go on and fire me, I don't care. When I got there, they began to say. That's to get the people's attention. That's when you and Slow Drag come in with the rhythm part. Me and Cutler play on the break. The sooner you understand it, and what you say is what Ma said to count. <laughs> we'll be ready to go in 15 minutes. We'll be ready to go when Madam says we're ready to go, and that's the way it go around here. These records are gonna be hits. Please come home to me. Every colored man in the world got to do his part. I'm gonna tell the white man just what he can do. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. About them songs I give you. They're not the right songs. That'll take them off your hands for you. I got my time coming to me. You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here. Come on. 
So now, before we give our reactions to uh, this trailer here and everything else about the movie, I think the biggest news of the week in the Oscar race was the announcement that Chadwick Boseman is not campaigning in the supporting actor category for this film. He is actually going to be campaigning for best actor, which (laughs) is a choice. (laughs) It threw a wrench into things considerably. Now, I have heard that for those that are familiar with the play, that the role uh, for Chadwick uh, Levy has been bo- uh, boosted up a bit. So he is pretty prominent in the trailer. It does look like there are scenes that are going to be told from his perspective without Viola Davis present. So I think that it it can qualify as a co-lead situation in that, in that case. Haven't seen the film yet, so can't clarify for sure. But what did you guys think? Well, in the play, the the role is like a borderline lead supporting situation so if they really have beefed it up then yeah it makes sense however like strategy wise i mean they're just shooting themselves in the foot well i don't know that they're shooting themselves in the foot i mean in terms of all their other nominees okay yeah i mean that hurts delroy lindo and it uh, it hurts Mm -hmm. gary oldman so but yeah i I mean i i think he can win for this you know it, it, it is a really just tragic loss and if this performance is as good as it's being high like kyle buchanan saw it and said that it's just a jaw dropper of a performance that he thinks he can beat hopkins so um i think he can win i think it would have been much easier to win in supporting but yeah you know if it has been beefed up from the play and also, just I understand out of respect for his legacy, you know, he was a leading man most of his life, go out on a bang like that. I think he can still do it, especially when Hopkins isn't going to campaign. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, that can definitely happen. And the trailer looks really good. I was surprised by how um, dynamic a lot of it looked. I know that it's staged yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, because it's based mm-hmm. on the play. But yeah. Fences, this does not look like i was like about to pull a yoda there this does not look like fences (laughs) okay well matt again this is this goes to the whole uh you know george c wolf has ample experience directing on stage yep this is maybe this one works my argument that it's a great training ground for visual storytelling because it does look very dynamic um i think the sound in this film is going to be a big player. They always like music in this branch, and the sound in this film is courtesy of Skip Leavesy, who, uh, yeah, he's he's a Legends. big name. Yeah, I mean, he won for Gravity. I think he did all the Coen Brothers stuff. Uh, he, he's been around forever, so it's I think it's going to be a contender there for costumes, makeup. makeup. Yep. Yeah. And what do you guys think of Viola from this? Oh, I mean, I mean, please, like. What's not the yeah, she looks yeah. phenomenal. Anthony Hopkins has like kind of solidified his position as the front runner right now because people have seen the movie. And Viola, I don't want to say had the number one slot solidified without people having seen the movie, but but it, it was pretty it's pretty close. I mean, if you look at our own predictions on nextbestpicture.com, I think everyone has her number one right now. And 
the unknown factor is Chadwick Boseman. That is like the one unknown about this movie, I think. But otherwise, I mean, I don't know how you can't have Boseman at number one or number two in Best Actor and then her also in, in that same kind of a position. Yeah, I mean, she just looks phenomenal as as would be expected, you know, because she is Viola Davis and it's August Wilson and she is the queen of queens. But like, I also just like the design of the production design, costume design, all looks fantastic. Um, the makeup job on Viola is really subtle, but looks believable and real. And I'm, I'm really, really here for this. I am. It also is not a straight adaptation of the play the same way that Fences was, where it was yeah, word for word. So that also has me very curious about how it, well it translates to the screen. And like I said before, it definitely looks more opened up. Camera uh, cinematography looks more dynamic. The only thing that wasn't wowing me was the production design. That did look a little stagey, but costumes, makeup, Will, you mentioned sound. I mean... This movie has, I think, uh, so many things working in its favor that it looks like a best picture contender as far as I'm concerned. Yet another one from Netflix. And there it's apparently Viola. The singing is a mix of her and a, an actual professional blues singer. Oh, OK. So this is not a complete Rami Malek situation is what you're saying. Yeah. And it's also not a complete Bradley Cooper situation. OK. <laughs> And I don't know what people are going to make of that or not make of that. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I don't I don't know if Viola can sing, but, uh, you know, it's nice that they recorded something. So I think anything that's not just lip syncing is automatically more impressive. Yep. Yeah. Very, very excited for this one. Can't wait to see what Chadwick Boseman has to offer in his final on-screen role. All right, let's keep it going with the Netflix titles here. Next up, we have The Life Ahead with the return of Sophia Loren back to the screen. First on-screen feature performance since nine, if you can believe it. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Dicono che tutto è scritto. E non si può cambiare niente. Sono uno e sono orfano. Io voglio cambiare tutto. Rosa inizia ad attendere i bambini delle altre buttane. Ciao! Rosa, ho bisogno di un favore. Mamma, l'ho presa in affitto subito dopo la tragedia. Io non ce la faccio più, sono vecchio. Due mesi, non un giorno di più. Finché vivi qua, le regole le faccio io. Nel quartiere questo posto lo chiamavano il rifugio. Io lo chiamavo un buco di merda. Basta! Io non posso andare, sai? Non ci sta con la testa. Rosa è un bambino. Quello non è normale. È bacato dentro. Quando tu finisci le parole Avevo la tua età. Era la prima volta che qualcuno mi trattava come una persona degna di fiducia. Che destino è il tuo. È proprio quando non ci credi più che succedono le cose belle. Ma 
darmi una mano perché da solo non ce la faccio se mi vuoi sono qui l'umanità è solo una virgola nel grande libro della vita ma quando madame lo sai mi guardavo con i suoi grandi occhi gialli Grande libro, tutto intero. Nessuno ti vede, io sì. I mean, it looks a lot better than nine. <laughs> And the Not song a big accomplishment. <laughs> no. They highlighted the song specifically in the trailer with text yep. saying it's <laughs> Diane Warren, people. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they are pushing for that Oscar song. for her. And she, you know what? I, I want to just say really quick that 11 career Oscar nominations, not a single win. She's up there, I know, with like Thomas Newman right now and... I'm sure somebody in the sound branch whose name I can't quite think of right now off the top of my head. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But in terms of like just stacking up the nominations and not getting a win, Diane Warren should have won already by this point. And I think that they are definitely like this. This trailer signified to me three things. One, Sophia Loren and Best Actress. I mean, you have to have her in your predictions right now, I think, until the film gets seen, which... For the record, I will be seeing it actually uh, very, very soon. Best International Feature. It hasn't been confirmed that it's it's being submitted by Italy, but it is uh, up for contention. And if Italy chooses to submit it, um, I think it could very easily crack um, that category because that category right now, it seems like nobody knows what to do with it at the moment. It's very wide open, that race right now. Mm -hmm. And then you have the song. So we're looking at without even having seen the movie, three very big possible uh, nominations that this movie could receive. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the movie itself, I don't know if I'm like excited to see it. It looks like a very particular kind of movie that will do well with some people. I don't know if it looks all that great, but it definitely has a lot of elements that are in the Oscar conversation that we need to pay attention to. Yep. Uh, the Life Ahead will be coming to Netflix on uh, November 13th. So be on the lookout for that one. And also coming out during the holidays this year, we have The Prom, another Netflix film, December 11th release, directed by Ryan Murphy with an all-star cast here, adapted from uh, the Broadway musical of the same name. Let's take a look at the trailer now for The Prom. You got the steps. You got the notes. But where's the zazz, baby? What is going on? Who are you people? Oh my God, that's... Ah, surely you know who I am. Where is my suite? We don't have a suite. Now, do you have a suite? We have come to this community on behalf of a young girl. I just want to go to prom like any other kid. All opposed. We are ride or die. Where are they? Okay, well, let's give this girl a prom! 
there will be a kick-ass prom in Edgewater, Indiana for everybody. I know it. much a ryan murphy production <laughs> uh, I, i've made my thoughts known about ryan murphy on previous episodes here which is <laughs> i think that he is incredibly hit or miss even if he's just a producer and not even the director i don't nothing that he has directed on the film side of things has ever impressed me tv no. is a different story and even his producing only uh sometimes it's very incredibly hit or miss for me as well so I can't say that I have full confidence heading into this necessarily, but I'm definitely here for Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman in a musical with a couple (laughs) of other very, very great names that aren't James Corden. I mean, just let's not even talk about that, but like, (laughs) because I can't, but I, it's a good teaser. Um, I, it gets you hyped. It, the music is very well chosen. But wait a minute, Dan, is it a good teaser? Because from what I understand, they are they are trying to sell this as look at all these big stars and this wholesome entertainment, you know, extravaganza that is yeah. going to be released during the holidays. And I've yeah. been told by people who are familiar with the Broadway show that that's not exactly what this is. Yeah, it, it, that's not exactly what it is. I mean, I'm putting I'm saying it's a good trailer in terms of like it's a good teaser. It gets you hyped and you know, amped up for the movie. It, is it an accurate representation of what the movie is? Uh, eh, I don't know because it, you know, it's Ryan Murphy and he's going to do what he's going to do. And it's very possible that they will not, um, that they, the focus will have changed from the stage show, but really the focus is on the, the high, this high school girl who, um, is trying to attend the prom with her closeted girlfriend. But that said, it, it's it's very much like a kind of 50-50 split situation between these big stars and her. So th- I, I get why they're pushing that element. And let's just uh, get her name out there so people know. Joe Ellen Pellman is yep. uh, the lead of this movie, but you wouldn't know it necessarily from the way that this uh, teaser was marketed. Um, I am very, very happy after saying on our review of The Boys in the Band that I wanted to see more Andrew Reynolds in feature films, that I'm seeing more Andrew Reynolds in feature films now. <laughs> we love Andrew Reynolds. We love him so much. And he's great casting in this part, I just have to say. <laughs> Also really excited to see more from Ariana DeBose, who uh, really yes. impressed me a lot in uh, Hamilton as part of the ensemble. Yes. Now is going to be in both this and the upcoming West Side Story uh, next year. So uh, she's got a very, very uh, promising future ahead of her as well. Keegan-Michael Key, I think he's always entertaining in any capacity. Kerry Washington, obviously love her. Welcome presence and in anything that she's in as well. We talked about Queen Merrill, Queen Kidman. And then there's James. Oh, James Corden. No, 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 we're not doing that. No, we're not. We are. I. We are not talking about his involvement in this picture. Okay. 
we are ignoring it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it deserves to only to be ignored. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. What's his really cheeky line he says to the camera in this? (laughs) I love that Dan's like, we're ignoring it. Will's just like, no, 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 I got to bring this up. (laughs) Well, you know what? James, James Corden, like, kind of punched me in the face so i will forever hold a vendetta <laughs> towards him and he said i looked like i was part of the worst boy band ever so does it always does it ever like feel like to you all that nobody wants james corden in in their movie but he kind of finds a way to force himself into the cast somehow no i think Absolutely. i think hollywood is very convinced that everybody wants james corden uh and nobody does yeah but i think they think he's a he's, he's beloved I mean, cats should have convinced people otherwise. Well, it's hard to to lay the blame at just one person with cats. So. Yeah, fair, <laughs> very true. Yeah. Oh, and if if you guys were worried about them doing kind of an end of the woods and making it dramatically more like quote unquote family friendly and wholesome, they, they, this it this is in the can. It's already got its MPA rating, and it's. It's PG-13 for the big uh, thematic elements throughout, which is their way of saying that it deals with sad uh, LGBTQ <laughs> relationships and then uh, and sexual material. So I think I think according to the MPAA, they're they're 
relatively closely sticking to the source material. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, look, the source material is incredibly heartwarming. I saw it twice on Broadway and cried both times at the end. It's it's very good and like just so delightful. I can't I can't wait to for everyone else to enjoy the score and how funny it is and yeah. I think we really need a movie like this around the holidays too. So I'm actually going to be very open to it, even though there are certain red flags already heading into it that I'm like, I don't know. We'll wait and see. But there is a part of me that wants to enjoy it. And I, I'm not actively looking to uh, not like this movie necessarily uh, based on some of those things that I just brought up um, on a more awards related level. Costume design looks great. I don't know what else outside of that. I mean, you know, one sound category this year and it's a musical. So I we, we have to have it in the discussion, I suppose. And uh, we have to wait and see if there's an original song written for the film. Well, if Meryl goes supporting, I mean, I know there's been talk about her going lead. But if that ultimately doesn't happen and she goes supporting, she doesn't even have to be that good. I agree. You know, you know, I I think that's entirely possible. Yep. I mean, she is always in the conversation no matter what she does. So, I mean, based on what we know about the show, it sounds like Joellen Pellman should be the lead and Meryl should be supporting. So on Broadway, both of those parts were deemed lead. And genuinely, I can see that. And I would push that unless they've significantly changed the 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 source material was a quiet place inspired by signs it comes at night in war for the planet of the apes was ready player one influenced by avatar wreck it ralph and the last starfighter is the hurricane heist more influenced by sharknado or geostorm these are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and i discuss on my podcast piecing it together every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it whether it's the story the character development tone or even use of music every movie was influenced by something that came before and we want to figure out what Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. All right, now let's head on over to the polls for nextbestpicture.com. Last week's poll in anticipation for Ben Wheatley's Rebecca, we asked everyone which is their favorite Alfred Hitchcock film. We asked everyone to choose up to three choices there. So, going to go around here. Will Mavity. Favorite Alfred Hitchcock. So many good choices. You know, it's 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 a cliche to say this, but I have to say Psycho. It was the first one I ever saw, and it's the one I've rewatched the most. Um, there might be better technical craftsmanship in Vertigo, but I know this is sacrilege, but I think the, the ending of Vertigo is kind of a wet fart. Um, it's just too abrupt. <laughs> Psycho, although the exposition in Psycho also kind of takes the one out of sales, Psycho is a perfect movie. All right. Love hearing it. Kaya, what about yourself? Uh, it's definitely Vertigo. Um, that was one of the first Hitchcock movies I ever saw, and I just think it's gorgeous, and both the leads are fantastic, and of course, that score. Dan Bear. Uh, yeah, I go with Psycho most of the time. Um, it's just, <laughs> it's perfect. And Josh Parham. Well, once again, I just want to reiterate how much I hate this question because I can never <laughs> pick just one. Yeah. It would be psycho. If I'm being honest, that that is the one that I 
probably return to most often. But I would also want to shout out uh, Shadow of a Doubt, which is kind of an underrated movie from him Mm. that nobody... A lot of people don't talk about it nearly as much as they should. Vertigo is my true number one, but I'm co-signing with you there, Josh. Shadow of a Doubt is the underrated one that I wish got more praise than it does, and I absolutely love that movie. Oh, so good. I am very, very curious to see how this poll shaked out here. Let's take a look at the results. Number 10. Notorious. I mean, it's excellent. Good yeah. choice. Yeah, it's very I good. Movie. I love uh, Claude Rains in that. Yeah. Uh, that was a really inspired nomination. I mean, Claude Rains in anything was all yeah. <laughs> okay. Th- that that's true. But like I, having him, the scene where he's in the the wine cellar, he's like, "We yeah. all have something, don't we? Some whiskey." <laughs> I don't know. He's he's really menacing. <laughs> Number nine, Dial M for Murder. Okay. I mean, that's one that I like Dial in for Murder. I would yeah. never, it's sort of like B level for me. Still really good, but just not in the top, top territory. Yeah. I would I, I would agree with that too. Uh, number eight, Strangers on a Train. Oh, I mean, I love, love. that one so much. Love. But you wanted it, guy. So. <laughs> one of my favorite Alfred Hitchcocks and one of the Alfred Hitchcock films that no one, I feel like no one ever talks about it. And they should. Oh, yeah. Unlike yeah. this next one here on the list at number seven, The Birds. Eh. Which I'm admittedly not a big fan of. I know that that's like one of his really? more popular ones from that era. But yeah, The Birds never did it for me. It's yeah, tainted. me too. It's tainted for me because of the Tippy Hedron stuff. I mean, like, right. he was uniquely terrible to oh, her. Oh, yeah. That. He like single handedly ruined her career for very yep. petty reasons. Yeah, it, yeah. That's very well known. Yeah. And I understand that tainting the movie, but I don't know. The purse is just so entertaining, though. I I think I like it mainly just for that. It's not it's definitely like a more genre exercise, but I think it's just really, really well done. Number six, the only film directed by Alfred Hitchcock to win Best Picture, Rebecca. Love it. I <sighs> I like it fine. I just rewatched it uh, in anticipation for uh, the Ben Wheatley review that we did. And I love that movie until we get to the court proceedings and the untangling of like, you know, just the plot. And it it just seems to like kind of come to a screeching halt at that point. And all of a sudden it feels like it's like a different movie to me. I wasn't so much a big fan of that, although I love obviously the final scene of the movie. Like it's. One of the most memorable endings to a Hitchcock film ever. Oh, yeah. The end is fantastic. All right. Number five. Maybe, in my opinion, the most pleasantly surprising placement on this top ten. Number five is Rope. Yes. Yeah. Rope is one of those movies that has really kind of gotten reevaluated throughout the years. And it's another one that I wouldn't call it in the top echelon for his work but it's far more interesting than it initially got the credit for and i'm glad that people are sort of discovering it throughout the years i wonder how much movies like birdman in 1917 like inspired uh articles about rope that then people have like caught up with it over the last couple of years you know oh yeah i I think that's i I think that's the main reason is rediscovered um i really like that and vertigo both give jimmy stewart kind of a chance to really i don't want to say dark but 
you get to see an angry side of him that isn't apparent in something like it's a wonderful life. Like, I don't know. I, I just love his, his scene in rope where he kind of breaks down and he's like, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but I can guess you're going to die. You know, it's, it's nice coming from Jimmy Stewart. Number four is North by Northwest. I mean, yeah. Amazing. Great. Love it. Yeah. Number three is Vertigo. And number one and number two with a difference of two votes. Wow. Number two is Psycho. And number one is Rear Window. I mean, yeah, Rear Window is yeah. Yeah. so entertaining. Again, why I hate this question, because now it makes it seem like I don't like Rear Window, and obviously I do. <laughs> I hate this question. Yeah. Happy to ask it, Josh. Happy to ask it. Yeah, I know. Okay, now for this week, Happy Halloween, everyone. Horror movie related. We are asking everyone what are their favorite horror movies of the 21st century. Uh, we've, a- we've asked people that they can you know list up to 10. Uh, I'm not going to ask everyone to list 10 here necessarily, but let's just go around. What are some horror movies from the year 2000 on the last 20 years uh, that have really, really stood out to you? Well, for me, looking at this list, there's a lot of obviously great movies here, but the one that I think rises above all else is 28 Days Later, a movie that I was very, very close to giving a 10 out of 10 to when we did it for our podcast review. I am in love with every bit of that film. I think it's Nearly a masterpiece, to be honest. It is definitely in my top 10 horror movies of all time, for sure. I agree. It's so good. That third act doesn't quite stick the landing, but it's it, it really is incredible. And I, I it was never going to happen, but I, I truly wish Cillian Murphy could have gotten some awards traction for that. Because that's a great performance of just completely descending into animalism. And I mean, John Murphy's score in that, oh. that, that guitar theme, it's so good. I agree. I would be uh, remiss if I did not mention Hereditary. Uh, my favorite horror movie of all time is The Exorcist. And Hereditary for me uh, is very similar to The Exorcist in a lot of ways. And I think that's why I responded to it uh, so much more. It's really just all about Tony Collette's uh, performance that found that felt so grounded in uh, a really horrific reality that I was able to uh, emotionally tie myself to and really, really feel her pain and uh, what she was going through. And I think it's also just impeccably crafted in pretty much every single conceivable way. And it scared the ever-living shit out of me. I still... Well, I, I, I have it seared into my mind uh, the first time I saw the scene where she's hanging on the ceiling and mm-hmm. everyone uh. in the theater just freaking out over that, myself <laughs> included. So I have to mention Hereditary. It, it's just I, I think it's one of the best horror movies ever made. So can I list a couple? Yeah, please. OK, so uh, my favorites were uh, The Witch Oh, I yes. saw that yep. uh, at its its midnight premiere at Sundance, and they had the volume cranked way up, so the sound effects really worked well to make you jump. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of those where a lot of like the the A twenty four and kind of art house horror films are really good as movies, but I wouldn't say they're scary. But I feel like the witch managed to the slow burn built up to something where the tension was high enough that it did scare me by the end. And it's a really good movie. 
like the whole ensemble in that is just astonishing because obviously Anya Taylor's great in it, but Harvey Scrimshaw, the little brother, he, he sells that exorcism scene. Um, the two Game of Thrones alums, Kate Dickey and Ralph Innocent, who has the best voice in history, um, are, are just fantastic. And those creepy little twins are so good. Uh, that, that movie is incredible. Um, the Devil's Backbone never really gets talked about among Guillermo del Toro's work, but that is a visually just sumptuous movie. And it's a great metaphor for uh, resisting Franco-era fascism. Um, some really good horror images, pretty creepy. Uh, Ready or Not. Oh, so much fun. I'm obsessed with it. I've seen that movie three times. It was it was hands down some of the most fun I had at the movies in the last two yeah. years. Can't wait to see what they do at Scream. Big, big, big shout out to The Ring. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah one of I, ever. I mean, like, way to go. I I love a movie that implicates the audience while you're watching it. And literally, this movie is like, you watch this movie, you may die. Just <laughs> saying. And like a plus the atmosphere in that movie is just like ugh, gore verbinski i love it um and really underrated naomi watts performance yes yeah. uh, I, i'm just looking at the the poll page now and thank you for putting under the skin on this list you're welcome because, like yes there were a couple of borderline ones where i'm like is it really horror but i figured the list was already so long that its inclusion could not be yeah. you know that detrimental <laughs> oh you have the descent on here matt that's so good i agree i love the descent, descent. amazing yeah um, at my favorites it's like a choice between two and one is after 2010 and one is before um i am a huge huge fan of luca guadagnino's suspiria i think that is just one of the most deeply unsettling movies but also like i was very i wasn't just viscerally involved in that movie i was also intellectually involved in that movie oh it's very bold really love it Um, i love that climax so gory yeah so great so i love everything everything about that movie i've watched it like two or three times since and just like it's beautiful i love it um and then my other pre-2010 choice is The Orphanage, Ooh. which I is so scary, but also gets me so emotional at the end. That ending is just so sad and beautiful, and I love that movie a whole hell of a lot. Kaya? Uh, so some people don't classify it as a horror movie, but Annihilation is definitely a horror film to me. It had some pretty genuinely good jump scare moments. I do remember that. Yeah, it's very unsettling. Body horror. Yeah, no, there's a couple of elements in there. That bear. Mm-hmm. Oh, that bear. bear. That's one of the most oh. terrifying <laughs> scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. The the yeah. intestines, the scene where they're like cutting their chests open and oh. you can see their intestines like mm-hmm. slinking around like snakes. God, yeah. Um, but I'm also going to have to go with Green Room. Oh, um, yeah. The Evil Dead remake. That, which might be one of the goriest films I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, I yeah, think it sure. set the record for the most fake blood. Uh, I think they, they had, I don't remember how many like hundreds of gallons they used, especially for the blood rain at the end. But I, I And think it has it, such I a low it, body count, too, that it's like, yeah. it's kind of incredible. 
Yeah, and then I'd also say uh, Saw and the Final yeah. Destination series. Oh, the first time I saw Saw, <laughs> God. So the first Saw is like a genuinely good thriller with, uh, if, if you don't know the twist, I mean, that, that twist is really shocking. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. kind of a shame that it got turned into just such a schlocky series because. But it's fun. Yep. Oh, it's awesome. I also want to like give a shout out to like horror comedies as well because I I I genuinely love this is gonna sound awful but like I'm not a purist like horror fan I I typically like horror movies that defy the rules if you will and I feel like horror comedies do that all the time because they make fun of the rules of horror movies so stuff like Shaun of the Dead Cabin in the Woods. Or drag me to hell. Tucker and Dale versus evil. Tucker and Dale. (laughs) Some of the best kills I've ever seen. Oh my god. (laughs) Matt, have you seen that? I have not seen Tucker and Dale. Oh, Oh I think you would really like it, Matt. If you are really into horror comedies, you will really like Tucker and Dale. It's fun. It is fun. It's such a good deconstruction of slasher movie tropes. Like, genuinely, it's hysterical. Maybe I'll watch that on Halloween, then. Do it. If we're doing horror comedy, um... I want to give a shout out. My dad took me to see Slither when I was in fifth grade. Oh. I, I don't really know why. It's great. Oh, but, Lord. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, he showed me the Evil Dead movies when I was in second grade. I had kind of a fucked up childhood in that regard. Um, but Slither really got under my skin in ways I can't describe. I, I covered my mouth when I slept every night for uh, over a year, and I still inexplicably have nightmares about that movie. I try, I've tried, I've rewatched it several times to like cleanse the stain it left on me because it's not objectively that scary a movie. It's pretty goofy, it has really funny dialogue. But it won't leave my subconscious. There's something about it that got it was like my it's not even my first true body horror. But in the event that uh, James Gunn ever hears about this podcast, I want you to know, James Gunn, Slither ruined my life (laughs) and I can't stop thinking about it. It's been 15 years and it will not leave my brain. Great, great, great practical horror makeup, though, in that movie. I mean, God. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Oh, God. Something's wrong with me. It just bursts. Oh, God. So head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Watch some horror movies this week in anticipation for Halloween. And also, too, if you have time uh, next week, head on over to the actual polls, if you will, and cast a vote there for the presidential election if you're in the United States, because, you know, that's kind of important, too. So we would like it if you did both. Next up here on the trailer binge that we have going on is Wander Darkly, a film that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. I saw it there with, uh, uh, no, Will, you saw it just recently, actually, uh, for AFI. It stars Sienna Miller, Diego Luna. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. I've told this story so many times, it's almost like it's a fantasy. This was real. This is real. You know, we both deserve to be happy. Are you happy? Yeah, sure. Oh, that's convincing. Why are we even together anymore? We have a newborn baby. We just closed escrow. You want to split up? I want to.
everything there is a season and time to be born and a time to die. She was there from the beginning. Of time? Of us. What do you think happens when you die? What if it's some extension or manifestation of your fears? Somebody help me! What's happening to me? Give me a hand. It's too late. But you're not dead yet. Okay, like in terms of what it's about or? Yeah, just in terms of what the plot is i think i get it i kind of get it let me put it to you this way that is kind of the point of the movie though is that you're not supposed to know that yeah yeah they they (laughs) deliberately they want reviews to to say as little as possible uh i mean just accept that it's very similar to like an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind i compared it to that movie with a ghost story Definitely got a ghost story vibes from the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that was like my my direct comparison at Sundance. I was like, it's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind meets a ghost story, and it will probably make you cry, even if you don't like the movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. sign me up. Like, I'm, you know, you say that to me, and it's like, where can I get my ticket right now? Yeah. <laughs> I remember I, I, I watched it with Casey Lee Clark, and um, we were both crying at the end of the movie, but we both did concede that, some of the writing is very melodramatic and very cheesy at so times. So on the nose. Some of yeah. the dialogue is so on the nose. But I think that if you're just in the mood for a tearjerker, it will it'll get the job done. Yeah. And, and Sienna and Miller think, for sure has like been on a yeah. really good trajectory lately. I'm, I'm now at the point where if she's involved in something, I'm actually really anticipating the performance that she's going to give. So I'm I'm very interested in that. And you know. Uh, Diego Luna is a really great actor too, and also very good looking. So I'm here for that as well. Sienna uh, Lionsgate is planning to make a, a genuine push for Sienna for this, um, and I, I think it's deserving. I, I don't have her in my five right now because it's a crowded category, but she is in my top ten for predictions. It's same. I mean, she gets to do all the things Oscar likes and it's, you know, it's, it's also just kind of a tragic role and, and she really carries the movie on her shoulders. I also want to give a shout out on it. I mean, I, I think Sienna is the only place it would or could contend at the Oscars, but um, it is for all the failings of the writing uh, on a technical level, it is extremely well directed. Yes. Uh, the, the, the sheer amount of just clockwork precision they had to have done to plan out shots to seamlessly merge into one another across multiple locations to really convincingly give it this dreamlike design is is very impressive. There's a lot of really creative match cuts and transitions with the cinematography and the editing, like really 
talking to each other uh, that I really appreciated as well. So I, I have to echo Will on that, that uh, it's a it's a movie that like I'm not very high on because the writing is, you know, once again, probably the weakest element of the film. But Sienna Miller and, you know, just some of the filmmaking that's on display, it's definitely worth checking out. And I, I do recommend it. All right. Let's move over now to News of the World. Big Oscar contender from Universal Pictures starring Tom Hanks and also Helena Zengel, uh, who I don't really know who she is, but I feel like after watching this movie, I think we'll probably know who she is. Uh, this is directed by Paul Greengrass. It reunites uh, Tom Hanks and Paul Greengrass uh, for the first time since Captain Phillips. It is being released on December 25th. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, and I'm here tonight to read the news from across this great world of ours. So they pay you to tell stories. I ain't never heard of that as a thing a man can do. It's not a rich man's occupation, as you can see. Hey! Stop! Stop! I'm not gonna hurt you! Do you understand English? Doey, I call that, uh... Friend. Says your name is Johanna Leonberger. Indians took you when they attacked your family six years prior. The mother, father, and sister were... Well, they passed. She's got family down in Castroville. Captain, why are you doing this? She needs to laugh and dream. She needs new memories. Roads closed. Is that the law? It is now. Captain, you, Johanna. I do not have a clue as to the care of a child. It's a photograph. That's my wife. can certainly handle a horse. That there's a horse. Horse. Captain. Captain. Make no mistake. Captain. Word is she's that captive out of Wichita Falls. What do you want? How much you want for her? This child is not for sale. She thinks she's an Indian now. She's something in between. Ladies and gentlemen, these are stories of men and women very much like you, waiting for better days to come. Ah, you can't have her! And I'm taking her home! You have Darius Wolski doing the cinematography, William Goldenberg doing the editing, James Newton Howard doing the score, Tom Hanks starring, Paul Greengrass and Luke Davies of Lion writing the screenplay. It's a Western. It's about news, a.k.a. they have an opportunity to make commentary on fake news in 2020. Like, what can go wrong? I mean, a lot of things could go yeah. wrong. I mean, for one thing, the, this, the visual effect. But um, I 
honestly, I think this looks pretty good. I think there are some the moments where it looks like the writing may not be up to snuff, but the cinematography performances all look pretty great. And it looks like this will, this could be something very touching, heartwarming to watch around Christmas time with the family. Yeah. I think in a normal Oscar year, I wouldn't have much fakeness. Yeah. But given the field we have, and it's a one of the few non-Netflix contenders that's coming from uh, Old Guard Studio. It, it, it's, it's the kind of film that an old branch of Hollywood loves, which is the mid-budget adult drama made by an established studio, led by one of the most quintessentially mid-budget studio adult drama actors in existence. So I think for those reasons... We have to consider it, and it doesn't look like it reinvents the wheel, but it looks like it's one of those classic stories that's well told. Also, it looks very un-Paul Greengrass-like. Yeah, you can actually see what's happening. The yeah. camera's not yeah. Yeah. all over the place. <laughs> I was well, I mean, shocked he, that there's no shaking He has game. a different DP, and I, I, think that, I think that's part of it. And we got to mention this. Darius Wolski has never been nominated for an Oscar before for cinematography. Yeah, he should have been Sweeney Todd if that wasn't the best lineup in all that category's entire history. I think he would have gotten in. I think, though, based on what we've seen in this trailer and considering that field this year, though, I think he's a shoo-in. Yeah, no, I I, I tend to think so, especially because he's one of the few, again, non-Netflix options. Also, I'll just be very curious to see what James Newton Howard comes up with for the score because he, too, is another one of those... uh, uh, high nominee uh, nomination count people that have never won an Oscar before. I think he's got eight nominations. Okay, and you also, uh, you were mentioning all these other people who were attached. Uh, I want to give a shout out to, since this is one of my favorite categories to talk about, uh, the sound. You have Oliver Tarney and Mike Presswood-Smith, who worked on uh, 1917 and The Martian and uh, a number of the Bond films. So you also have your bona fides in that particular below-the-line area. The only thing that I, I, I definitely have to agree is it does look like it is going to be... Traditional? Yeah, that's the word. Like, it doesn't look like something that we haven't seen. But like, who, who, someone just mentioned it's not going to reinvent the wheel. And I, I, I agree with that, which is why I'm starting to think that... I don't know. I, I, like, it's more of a question mark than I, than I initially thought. Let's put it that way. Well, it's not going to be daring in the way Greengrass stuff often is, but there is still a vocal portion of the Academy who loves stuff like that and can't resist it. When you get a Darkest Hour or, or a Green Book or something like that, an Argo, you know, there, there are parts of the Academy who love kind of old school movies like that. And if there are contingents of the Academy who are throwing their weight behind something like Nomadland that is a little more friendly to critics and film Twitter um, and not as much like an old school cinema type movie, uh, especially if Chicago 7 doesn't hit as hard as we think it will with the voters, something like this could be what that still fairly substantial branch of Ampass rallies around instead. I feel like if we had traditional box office and people were actually going to theaters right now, I have a feeling that this could 
be something on the level of like the Martian or True Grit, which I know is like a very inevitable comparison here. But something tells me that if we were in a normal year, uh, box office could propel this movie uh, into the best picture conversation. But it looks like the kind of movie that gets nominations, but no wins. Yeah, just, just like the Coen brothers, True Grit, which this basically True. looks like a sequel to. Yeah, you know, Matt, it, it's really funny that you mentioned the box office thing, because I was thinking about that, too, that these are the types of movies that I think in the past have been really dependent on box office receipts and like that word of mouth building. And that helps it in the conversation for uh, the award season. And when you don't have that, I wonder what these like kind of more traditional movies, how they will play in this year's race. Well, Let's now talk about 2021 here. Uh, we also received our first look at Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, this is actually starring Kelly Marie Tran and Aquafina. It's going to be released March 12th, 2021. So we'll miss the February 28th cutoff date for this year's Oscars. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. My whole life, I trained to become a guardian of the Dragon Gem. But this world has changed. People are divided. Now, to restore peace, I must find the last dragon. My name is Raya. getting a little too big for this bud i'm curious now because of the release date and i wonder if it's a strategy in terms of just spreading out their titles or if they just don't have confidence in this yeah it looks like the animation looks really nice and kind of beautiful but like this feels like they're just a rehash of a lot of their beats from other movies that they've done you know mm -hmm. like just a mishmash of all different things together i mean i think it's interesting that the trailer the or it's a teaser right yeah that yeah. That, that this this the movies that this picks out to be like from the studio that brought you are moana and frozen because this very much feels like a combination of those two movies <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if the March release date really signals like a lack of confidence in it. I think it is more so just I think Disney for a while now has actually just sort of staked out March as like the month that they will release like their kind of B tier animated movie. And then they'll see what happens later down the line. And I think that regardless of the Oscar timeline, that they're just sticking with that. I, I think it just yeah. signals that they're confident that it'll do well but it to me it's more like yeah this is like our b movie and we're saving the good stuff later in the year yeah it's what they did i mean it's onward from exactly from this yeah. year which was not bad it's just nobody thought it was life-changing and also you know holding it back from the oscar race i mean why wouldn't they because they already have soul to deal with and they're also juggling onward as well um 
I, it makes sense they don't want to throw a third animated film into the mix this year to split votes. It's just funny because that field right now uh, is lacking contenders, so they they could have if they wanted to. But well, good, it will force them to pick something out of the box. Yeah, um, it's also co-directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. So all of you blind spotting fans out there, yay! Yep. <laughs> Happy about that. Get that money, Carlos. Get that money. <laughs> and that armadillo is super cute. I love me Super a good, cute, uh, oh, cute yeah. animal sidekick, and that armadillo did the trick. There's going to be look. a ton of plushies sold mm-hmm. for that one. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Let's now head on over to the fan questions. Let's call it a day here. Let's see what the NBP film community had to ask us uh, for this week. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not ki- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's okay. what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. That's just how <laughs> it works. Juan Carlos Ollano is asking, which categories do Rebecca and Borat's subsequent movie film have a realistic shot at being in the Oscar cut uh, consideration for realistically Rebecca costumes Borat nothing yeah I mean, uh, Rebecca I, production design I don't know that comment the other day uh, about how they shot at oh at Hatfield House yet again y- exactly it, it might be like we've seen this before you know yeah but I don't know like her just like Rebecca's quarters that is such a marvel of production design mm-hmm. that I I mean and it's so obviously the best thing about the movie um, and I hope I would hope the score for that it's not going to happen but like goddamn Clint Manziel like. <laughs> Uh, Lindy Erickson is asking if you could travel back in time to see any movie opening weekend, what would it be? Psycho, easily. I would go Alien. What? It's, it's horror movies, my God. I would say The Exorcist. Yeah. They yeah, a I big would reaction say so. people. I would have loved to have seen the initial reaction to the ending of The Usual Suspects in theaters. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently, people were mad, which I think is interesting. So I would have loved to have gone into that cold. At Titus Joel Banks, when you guys think of satisfying, fulfilling movie endings, what's the first one that comes to mind? Shawshank Redemption. Amelie was the first one that came to mind. I think it's funny because it was made up in post, but uh, the ending of Casablanca is just such an all-timer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I don't know if this is my actual answer, but it's just the first one that came to mind. It was The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at eggs acid do you think aaron sorkin will get a director nod for trial of chicago 7 or be left off in favor of more showy directors i have them getting left off yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny i wouldn't say being showy is the problem it's pretty flashy but i don't know if it works yeah. um i i think if they love the film it might 
but I'm leaning towards no because I also just don't think that film is landing quite as well as we thought it might. Not even just with with critics, but just in general. I th- I think it's landing well enough and i actually think the fact that critics have mostly dismissed it now despite it it, it getting positive reviews it really did get positive reviews i think that's actually working in its favor because it's not the front runner with the big target on its back and everyone's going to be focusing on other things and that will give it a chance to come back later into the discussion yeah for the longest time that was my philosophy that sorkin could even get nominated at a bunch of places but be left off at the oscars Mm -hmm. the problem for me now with that though is i feel like most of the competition that i sort of had filling those spots has now left into next year so I think there might be room for him now to kind of slip back into it just because his bigger players aren't in this year's race. Paul Rye at Crazy Martin 434. What is your favorite underrated horror movie villain? One that doesn't get enough credit for you and you feel is better than people perceive. Ooh, ooh, that's good. Hmm. Horror movie villain. Okay. I'll go there because <laughs> I already kind of did earlier. Uh, Scarlett Johansson in Under the Skin. Yeah. Is she the villain, though? I mean, she gets redeemed by the end and she has an like arc. The... But like she is <laughs> literally luring men to their deaths. <laughs> well, there is an <laughs> argument that she's doing a service there, but that's neither well, yeah, nor I there. mean, there's an element that she's a yeah, yeah, that she's an unwilling. But I think she's still kind of i was not the biggest fan of this movie necessarily even though i know it does have its fans but i have to admit that the character is i I think on the verge of becoming iconic already and that is rose the hat from dr sleep oh yeah yeah she she was iconic when that movie came out Mm -hmm. let's be honest i have women in top hats is like for me (laughs) like yeah especially when it's her but Now, was this question just like of all time or or was it a specific? That could be all time. Okay. This one, it might be a bit of a stretch to say they're underrated. But what I will say is when we talk about like the classic, like universal monsters, you know, everybody always mentions Dracula and Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman. But usually the Invisible Man never gets into that conversation very often. And I think Claude Rains in that movie. Perfect. It's miraculous. And it was his first... uh, on-screen performance, which, you know, is funny to think about. Like, but from the get-go, he's already amazing. And it is my favorite of the Universal Monster movies. It's my favorite of James Whale's movies. And most of that is down to what Claude Rains is doing in, as that character. And I think it's an amazing villain. I'm going to say uh, Jessica Chastain in Crimson Peak. Oh, I love it. <laughs> She's great. I, and, I, and I think that uh, this performance should have gotten much, much, much more consideration uh, in the Best Actor category a few years ago. But James McAvoy is truly incredible in Split. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's an amazing yeah. performance. I, the other one that I will mention that's kind of underrated, I think, is Terry O'Quinn in The Stepfather. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Dan. Yes. Love it. You guys Especially that first said, one, yeah. Yeah. You guys have said most of the iconic ones, and uh, and then obviously there are iconic ones that wouldn't even answer this question. So I'm just going to pick a random one, which is 
I really thought Danny Houston was very effective in 30 Days of Night. Ooh. Especially because whenever I've seen him in anything else, he's not an intimidating presence. But I don't know. I, that's another one. I was, I was in seventh grade when I saw that. And um, I, he freaked me out, honestly. He, he's a very imposing figure, utterly lacking in humanity. And he comes across as such a slubby nerd and everything else that I almost didn't recognize him. So that, that scene where uh, the woman's in the street and she's like, please, God. And then he looks around at the sky and is like, ah, <laughs> no, God. And then just like rips her throat out. I, I thought he was underrated in terms of recent horror movie villains. And a quick round now of this or that. Very quick, no hesitation. Here we go from Isaiah Washington. Ratatouille or up, up. Ratatouille. 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 The Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy? Avengers. Avengers. Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Avengers. Parasite or Get Out? Parasite. 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 Parasite, but it's very close. Yeah, Yeah. it is close. Boys in the Hood or Do the Right Thing? Do the Right Thing. I mean, it's Do the Right Thing, but that's like almost unfair to Boys in the Hood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of them is one of the greatest movies ever made. The other is very good. The Lego movie or Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse, but it is close. Aladdin 2019 or Lion King 2019? Oh, God. Aladdin. Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin, but like we all do. Some originality. And then uh, Sam James Peck, uh, this or that, but with actors, uh, not their personalities, but just their filmography. So comparing actors, filmography. Viola Davis or Frances McDormand? Oh, Oh, God. I mean, okay, fine. Frances McDormand. I got to go with Frances, (sighs) too. Yeah. Yeah. That's not really fair. She's had a significantly longer time to build up her resume though she doesn't have suicide squad i'm getting a sense here that they're like i'm looking at some of the choices here and i'm getting a sense that these are like these are thematically tied in some way whether they are like oscar rivals in the past or upcoming for this year because like the next one here is emma stone or jennifer lawrence and i gotta go with emma stone yeah it's emma stone yeah for sure emma stone i mean for the favorite alone yeah that was my initial thought for easy a alone yeah yeah Yeah. Zombieland. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence does have Mother, though. She and also has she also all has the X Men films. films. Oh, I know, Kaya. So you, you have to pick her, right? <laughs> yeah, I have to pick her. Gary Oldman or Denzel Washington? Fuck, uh, Denzel. 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 Yeah, I gotta. Ha- I do have to say Denzel, but like, no disrespect to Gary Oldman. That's an amazing yeah. filmography too. But then there's also supporting roles that he's in, like like the Dark Knight trilogy. God damn it, that's that's terrible. It's it's tough. It is tough. <sighs> Joaquin Phoenix or Sean Penn? Joaquin. Joaquin easily. If this was before like 2008, I would have said Sean Penn. Yes. But now I would say Joaquin Phoenix. I look. We're talking about. Only actor Sean Penn, not director Sean Penn. I mean, which is the he, only reason why I choose Sean Penn. <laughs> yeah, and, and not human being Sean Penn. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Timothy Chalamet or Saoirse Ronan? Oh, Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. Ronan. Saoirse. Saoirse. Come on. Yeah, Saoirse. Not even close. Chalamet has not even been around that long. Uh, Carrie Mulligan or Michelle Williams? Ooh. Uh, Michelle that's a good Williams. one. Michelle Williams. Williams. Yeah, Michelle. Yeah, yeah you got Michelle. broke back in there. Blue Valentine. Fossey Verdon, Lucy, Kate Winslet, or Leonardo DiCaprio. 
I got I got to go with Leo. Yeah, Leo. Yeah, Leo. No, I'm going with Kate. Honestly, I think I'm actually going to go with Kate as well. I mean, sense and sensibility. The thing with her is that, like, I think Leo obviously has probably better movies in there, but in terms of who's like giving better performances and actually who's Mm. taking riskier choices, I think that that is wholly Kate Winslet. Yeah, Yeah. Leo gets an unfair advantage. People pointed out he only, only works with safe bet directors. Yeah, exactly. Rooney or Kate Mara? Rooney. 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 Uh, Like, well, I mean, Kate, I feel like, has mostly done TV. So, I guess. What has she done other than House of Cards and The Martian in like 127 hours for five minutes? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Meryl Streep or Daniel Day Lewis? Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, Oh my god. Uh, Daniel Day, but he's because he's more choosy. You know what? I I, I could afford to lose. Oh man, but I lose Lincoln and there will be blood. Uh, No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Meryl. That's the thing. Like if I go on performance, I would generally choose Meryl over. I mean, I would choose Daniel Day Lewis over Meryl. But if like we go by the movies. I I don't like a lot of the movies that Daniel Day Lewis has been in all that much. Yeah, but I see the same thing. And about I don't know Marvel that too. I can live without yeah. this product. I need my rewatches of that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think if forced to choose, I would say Meryl. She's got a lot of bad movies as well. Yeah. But by the very nature, she is just in more movies than he is. Like, I feel like, yeah, he has better ones in there, but. The fact that she just works more, I feel like I almost have to pick her. And there's also more variety in the types of movies True. you get with Meryl than Daniel Day-Lewis, where they all feel pretty much the same. Yeah, I mean, Death Becomes Her uh, is sort of like an automatic way. <laughs> and also The River Wild. Yeah. Like, come on. All right. That'll do it here for this week on the Next Best Picture podcast. Will Mavity, tell everyone that's listening where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Kaya? You can find me on Twitter at Kaya Shinyata. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Josh Parham. And you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 217 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Proud to be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to get some exclusive podcast content from us, you can subscribe over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get our 2016 throwback reviews that we've been doing lately as part of our retrospective. Next Best Series, Next Best Theater. We have a lot of great content on there. Please, please, please check it out for $1 minimum a month. And if you have time, rate us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Write a comment if you like the show. It seems that people only like to write reviews when there's something negative to say so if you've enjoyed the show over the last couple of years and you've never ever rated us please take a moment to do so really really appreciate that thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time Hey Hey there. there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.